0: Hey family, Um, as you know I'm at a VM weekend right now ministering to some young ladies with I think about half our church is here with me, but thank you for your prayers and your support. Um, God had really laid this message on my heart and I wanted to share it with you even though I'm not here, so we're going to try this new thing. We're going to video it and I'm going to play it for you. Wasn't that some awesome worship we had just a few minutes ago from our awesome worship team? Thank you guys and girls on the worship team. Um. Let's pray, God. Please speak through me and help me to uh, forget about the fact that I'm preaching to a video camera. And would you please use my words right now to convey the message that you've placed on my heart to all the people that are listening and watching today? Uh, we believe that your word is timeless, and that that you can speak through a video just as well as you can speak through me standing there in person. God, I thank you for our body. I thank you for the connections that you've made. We love you. Thanks for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today I want to talk to you about who and what you are. Who are you? Who, 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 who? Like, who are you? I want you to start to think about that. Because I believe if you know who you are, you will know whose you are. And if you know what you are, It'll change the way that you live. Knowing these two things will enable you to live life to the full. We want to live life to the full. We want to live that life that Jesus talks about, the abundant life, the the full life. And a lot of times I think we go through life and and we just don't feel it. We feel dead or we feel trapped in in a rut. So that's what I want to talk about today. Who are you and what are you? We want to be like Jesus, and he knew who he was, and he knew what he was. He made it very clear. He pointed himself out in the scriptures, who he was, and he didn't have any sin. We know from the Bible that Jesus had no sin in his life. Um, so I'm going to read you uh, Colossians 2, if you're turning with me, Colossians 2, 13 through 15, and... Uh, See. Colossians 2.13. And uh, hopefully you brought your Bibles and you can turn with me. If not, you're gonna have to trust me because it will not be coming up on the screen today. Because I'm on the screen. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, or that word quickened is made alive, together with him, having forgiven you. Some of your trespasses, the ones that you've paid for or that you've made right. No, that's not what it says. It says, has forgiven you all of your trespasses. And that word all, you can do a word study on it and it means all. Verse 14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. What's he saying? That's not who you are. There are labels and things, and sin would try to put on our lives, the death and the sin that Jesus came to take away or to blot out. It's contrary to us, to the real us, to who we are, to, to living that full life or to being fully alive, as I like to say. It's contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Sin had some labels on us that were false, that weren't true. And the sad thing is, a lot of us still walk around with those labels on our lives and it makes a big difference. Look at uh, verse 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, or having disarmed them, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He won. It is finished. Jesus' purpose was the cross, and he walked that out perfectly without sin. He was the spotless lamb. Um, He won. He beat sin and death. Sin and death is no longer our master after the cross. See, before the cross, we were a slave to sin, a slave to death. But now we get to choose life or death. I want to choose life, I want to live life to the full. Jesus said that no man can serve two masters. Let's look at that in Luke 16, 10. This is another familiar few verses. We'll read 10 through 13. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. What's Jesus saying there? That small things matter. It matters. The little things that you think don't matter, they do. Verse 11 says, If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, or money, wealth, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or wealth, money. That's what mammon means. So, what's Jesus trying to say? You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and stuff, things, and worship your things. You must be. Faithful in small things, and then you will be given big things. It's baby steps. And did you know you can serve your sin? You can become a, a slave to your sin. Sin is just bondage. And uh, the Strongest Concordance defines sin like this. It's a Greek word that's used in the New Testament and a Hebrew word in the Old Testament, but it means this. Um, the word that's used in the New Testament is to sin, to do wrong, or to do any act contrary to the will of God, missing the mark. So, any act contrary to the will of God, or missing the mark, I'm pretty sure that's all of us. I've done that. Let me think about it. Today, yeah. So, we all have sin in our lives. We've all experienced death of sin, and... God doesn't categorize sin. We like to think that some sin's worse than other sins or some sin's better than some. Or my sin's not as bad as his sin or she did this and it's way worse than what I do. Then Jesus comes along and he flipped the script. Jesus changed everything because he said, um, yeah, y'all think you're really good and you think you've got it together because some of the religious people thought that uh, they could keep the 10 commandments and they were keeping the law and everything was good and then Jesus said yeah that was Moses's law they said uh thou shalt not kill but i came to bring a higher law i say that if you've hated someone in your heart you've murdered them and Moses's law said that um if you commit adultery then thou shalt not commit adultery and then i'm going to say uh my new law is: if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, that you've committed adultery. Whoa, 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 Jesus! Okay, look, the ones that we thought we were doing okay on, now you're even messing that up because you're saying it's even in our mind, even if we're thinking the wrong thing, that that it's a sin to God. Sin is sin is sin. It's it's all the same. It's all missing the mark. Um, there's a story that I told you before, but it just really fits here. Um, it's about the old farmer that uh, was hiking up on the mountains above his farm and he found an egg that had either rolled out of a nest or something, but it was a large egg. And he wasn't sure what kind of egg it was. He picked it up and he put it in his little satchel and he carried it back down the hill. And he laid it in a nest with some chicken eggs and he let a chicken sit on that thing and hatch it. and it did. and it hatched out and became it was an eagle. And so he was shocked that it was this little baby eagle and couldn't even really tell when it first hatched out. Like, what is it? It's huge. And as it ran around with the chicks and stuff and it started to grow up, it grew much faster. But the eagle believed that it was a chicken. It learned how to scratch around in the dirt and dig for grub worms and how to eat the chicken food and how and it never learned to fly because it thought it was a chicken. And the funny thing is that other eagles would fly off of the mountains and the cliffs and they would fly over looking to grab a chicken. So the farmer had to build a top on the chicken coop so that the eagles wouldn't grab any more of his chickens. And this eagle grew up to be a full-grown eagle. And every time another eagle would fly over the top, he would run with all the chickens into the nesting box to hide because he had no idea what he was. And uh, it'd be pretty cool if I could tell you that like one day he realized what he was and spread his wings And he realized he had greatness inside of him then he flew out of the chicken coop and he rejoined his family But that's not what happened Um, People would come and look at him and laugh and mock him and, And say oh he thinks he's a chicken and he's scratching around with the chickens Until one day he died of old age and the farmer took him out and buried him and he never realized his full potential he was never able to fly he had to experience all the storms you know an eagle they can spread their wings and go up higher than the storm and this eagle he had to experience all the storms even though he had the ability inside him to fly above the storms if you do a word search on that word sin that that i just talked to you about that greek word that was translated sin it is to miss the mark but um if you dig into it a little bit deeper, it means to miss your mark. Make it a little more personal to, to miss your mark. And I believe that the greatest sin is in life is to miss your mark. To live and to die as a chicken when you have the ability to be an eagle. There's greatness inside of you, but will you tap into it? Uh, I don't know. Will you? That's what we're talking about today. Sin will keep you from who you're supposed to be. Sin will blind you. Sin will label you as a chicken when you're not a chicken. You're an eagle. You know, there are people in the hospital begging God for one more day, one more minute, just a little more time that you have right now. They're begging God, God, please, if I could just walk again. You can walk. What are you spending your time on? Are you realizing your potential? God, let me spend one more day with my kids. You've got every day with your kids right now. Are you living as a chicken or are you an eagle? P.O.D. sings a song. Every day is a new day. I'm thankful for every breath I take. I want to really live, not just be alive. Seems like I know a lot of people that are just alive and they're not really living they're not tapping into the full potential that God has for them. So, what does it mean to be human? Like, what is that? What? What are we? We're humans. Okay. So, I told you that we were going to talk about who we are and what we are, um, and we had to talk about sin first. So, what are we? We're humans. I've been a human almost all my life, and I'm pretty sure that some of you, most of you, have too. Um, The ones of you that haven't, you can just go ahead and go to the bathroom or whatever because this part's probably not going to speak to you that much. But if you're a human, sit tight um, because this really spoke to me. What is life supposed to look like? Jesus describes this life and he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. He describes this life that we as humans are supposed to be connected. We're supposed to be in community with each other. We're, we're supposed to live in relationship with each other, in community with each other, and not be these separate beings off on our own somewhere. That's what part of what being human is. That's how we live that life. But sin separates us from God, and it separates us from people. Um, you know somebody in your life that, that chooses a destructive lifestyle they choose sin over and over and over, and then what happens? Eventually, they have no one. They're on their own. They're isolated. They're off, separate somewhere because sin separates us. And to be fully alive is to be fully connected to God and to people, all of you. We're supposed to be connected to each other. So to be fully alive, you must be connected. Or you're not experiencing the life that god has for you um, in acts 12 you can go read it i'm not going to turn there acts 12 1 through 10 go read the story but i think it's a really odd story that we don't bring up that much for some reason i don't hear a lot of messages preached about it or anything um, but it's a it's a pretty odd story herod is the king and he kills james the james we talked about last week one of the the two brothers, the sons of thunder, the king killed him with a sword. And then he saw that uh, it made the Jews really happy that he killed him. So he wanted to make them even more happy. So he grabbed Peter and he took Peter and threw him into the maximum security prison and chained him up between two guards. And his plan was that on Easter, he would kill him too. And that that would make him more famous and popular to the Jews. So he grabs Peter and he throws him in jail. And he's planning to kill him. And Peter began to pray and worship in his darkest hour. Nope. Not at all what he did. You know what Peter did? He went to sleep. And if go read it in Acts 12:1 is where the story starts. But Peter lays down and goes to sleep. And it tells us that the church, that his connections or his relationships were praying without ceasing, that they didn't stop praying for him and interceding for him and going to war for him. And an angel shows up. It tells us that the angel showed up and hit him, smote him in the side, and told him to get up because he was asleep and put on some clothes. So he was laying there naked in between two guards. And an angel showed up and hit him in the side and told him to put on some clothes. We're getting out of here. And it's kind of a funny story. Um, Peter thought that he was dreaming. He kept thinking he was dreaming as the angel walked him out of the prison and like this must be a dream. And it wasn't. He was saved because of his connection. Like his connection to the church and to people. They were going to war for him. He was at peace. He went to sleep. See, we always talk about the story of Paul and Silas worshiping in the darkest hour and that's an awesome story we can get some awesome truth out of it um and they were they got thrown into prison and they were chained up and at midnight they chose to worship and pray and then god let them out and shook we all, we know that story we talk about that story we like to preach that story because it says what we have to do what we need to do and i was thinking about this peter he didn't do anything he laid down and went to sleep If he did anything, it was the fact that he had peace in the middle of the storm or in a hard time. Wait a minute, that starts to sound familiar. That's what Jesus taught him to do. Remember Jesus laid down on the ship and went to sleep as an example to the disciples. So Peter was there when Jesus taught them this powerful lesson that if you trust and you have enough faith in God, that you can trust Him enough that no matter what's going on around you, no matter what storms, you can go lay down and go to sleep and trust that your connections and that your Father are working and that it's going to be okay. Paul and Silas, they weren't there in the boat with Jesus. They didn't get to learn that lesson, so they were up doing the works themselves, trying to pray and worship. Peter had this revelation on peace that he just laid down and went to sleep, but it was because of his connections, it was because the church prayed without ceasing that Peter got set free. He got to walk out. Humans, when we talk about being human, we humans have our differences. But I was thinking about that and thinking about you know what separates us from the animals and what makes us different and and how can we live. A life that's fully alive how can we live that abundant life that that God calls us to and I was thinking about you know like when when we get attacked that humans stick together in war or in different times when when really bad things happen that humans all seem to pull together and we forget our differences and we forget race and creed and religion and we just fight for mankind That's why that movie, Independence Day, has always been one of my favorite movies because you get to see that aliens came in. Now, we can argue all we want to as humans, argue back and forth the political things or whatever, all our issues. But as soon as something from the outside comes in and threatens all of us, we join together. Whether that's in war or a movie or when there is a great evil, united we stand so we are connected and then unity or strength is found when we unify when we connect with other people we're stronger but what makes us different from all other species on the planet how are we so powerful how do we rule the planet how are we top of the food chain like the movie planet of the apes is there a chance that a species could pose a threat to us is there a like? Is there a way that something like that could happen? Um, let's read Hebrews eleven. Hebrews 11one i one. I'm gonna read that to you in the NIV because um, I like how how it words it. This will be another familiar passage to you. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By, and by faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings... He was commended when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. So, wait a minute. Cain had faith, and now we still get to hear about him. He still speaks. His words became life because he had faith. Verse 5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not even experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. All right, now listen to this last verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that last verse it almost seems not fair. When I think about it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Like, does that seem fair to you? It's unfair. A flower doesn't have to have faith to please God. Uh, You know, a sunset doesn't have to have faith. It just is, because God created it. A wildebeest doesn't have to have faith to please God. Like, But we as humans have to have faith to please God. Why? That doesn't make sense. See, lions and orangutans and sunrises and flowers, they're being what they were created to be. They're being all that they were created to be. And that tells us that it is faith that returns us to our humanity or what we were created to be. Faith isn't just the material that makes us more than human. Faith is the material that makes us human again. See, we lost our humanity with sin and death and faith. The belief, the trust, the hope, the faith. That's what makes us human again. What does it do? Well, like, this scripture, if you're honest... It doesn't really make sense. If it wasn't in the Bible, you would probably say it's crazy. You know, there are a lot of scriptures that um, you would probably look at and like this one, the start of this one, like, no, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Because it's the Bible, we say, oh, that's beautiful, that's sweet, but really... It doesn't make sense. If you just read that in a book, or like if somebody sat down and wrote it down and it wasn't part of the scriptures, you would probably say, that's crazy, that's nonsense. Like, that makes no sense. But since it's scripture, we say, oh, that's nice, that's cute. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Hmm. Being human means that you are supposed to be rooted in the future remember we talked about a few weeks ago that hope can't exist in the past hope is found in the future hope is tied to the future and so is faith hope is in the future not the past being human means that you are supposed to be rooted in the future Now, I don't know about you, but thinking about that, um, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I don't know about you, but um, I'm more sure or confident in what I do see than what I don't see. Mm, Call me crazy, but if I offered you a bicycle that you can see... Or a car that you can't see. Which one would you take? If somebody made the offer to me, I'm probably going to take the bicycle that I can see. Oh, but a car is way more valuable, and it can get you to work a lot faster. Yeah, but I can see the bicycle. I can't see the car, so I'm going to take the bike. Makes sense, right? That means this Bible verse doesn't make too much sense. Or what if I said, hey? let me see, uh, let's see, who's in who's in the room today? Uh, Wayne, if I uh, offered you $100 that you can see, or $500 that you can't see, which one do you want? Probably everyone in the room will take the $100 you can see, and you know what? i tell you what, if you want to make me that offer, I'll take the $100 that I can see and I'm such a generous guy that I'll give the $500 that I can't see to uh, charity or something like that. How about that? Why? Because we don't trust in things that we can't see. That's not natural. That's called faith. It's not that I don't want to live by faith. It's not that I don't want to trust. But... It's kind of hard, and it doesn't make sense. You can you can have what I can't see. Would you rather sit in a chair that you can see or a chair that you can't see? Hmm. I don't think we have to answer that. Faith shifts us to believe in things we can't see. You, ever, you know somebody that's maybe in a bad relationship? Somebody's got a and it's just a jerk, but they won't break up with him. Why? Because it's easier for them to believe in what they can see than to hope that there's somebody better for them or that he can become better and this is the step they need to take to get rid of him. No, so they just trust in what they can see and they keep him and they hope that he'll get better one day. It's easier to believe in what you have. People get stuck in jobs and they stay in the same job for their whole entire life dreaming of something bigger and something better and then they never go step out and try it. Why? Because they don't have the faith or the trust to step out. They don't they don't have that faith. They believe in what they can see, not what they hope for, not in the future that they choose to create or to make different. To believe or see things in the future, even if we can't see it yet. That's what it means to be human. That's what it means to have faith. Humans are materializers of the future. That's what we are. See, bees make hives, and ants make beds, and beavers build dams, and humans create the future. We are creators. We're dreamers. We're artists. And we're created in God's image. So God is an artist. God is a creator. God creates things with his breath. The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. That creative breath is inside of you, 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 you. Every one of us, that breath is in there, and we were created to create. We materialize the invisible. God imagined us to imagine. He created us to create your imagination, it can be a curse or it can be a blessing. If you believe the wrong things about who you are and what you deserve, if you believe the labels that have been put on you, you believe sin, you believe you can't do any better, you believe that you can't have a good future, if you believe... All these lies and you don't really know who you are. If you're full of doubt and fear and regret, then your imagination becomes a curse because you don't have hope in the future. So you imagine and you create or materialize despair instead of hope because you don't have faith. You don't see the future. Our greatest gift can be our greatest curse. How many know that to be true? In a lot of different areas in life. But it's true in this area too that us as humans, we were created to imagine and create the future and and if we have the wrong ideas and the wrong thoughts, then we can create a worse situation for ourselves. Think about... A giraffe standing out there in the field and they're like, you know what, I think I want to be a dancer. I've always been told I have the legs for it. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I think I want to be a dancer. Nope. Never happens. A giraffe is a giraffe. What about a water buffalo? Hey, I saw a TV the other day and there's a game called football that I think I'll be really good at. I think I'll be a football player. Nope. It's ridiculous. There's no gazelle feeling trapped in their life or in their world. Have you ever felt trapped? Yeah, you probably have. Uh, like you're stuck. I think all humans have come to that place in their life, or a lot of us have, to where you just feel like you wake up, you do the same thing, you go to work, you go to school, you eat food, you go to bed. You get up the next day, you do the same thing. We come to a point in time to where we feel trapped, but animals don't feel that way. They don't feel like they're stuck in that over and over routine, like they're trapped in the matrix or caught by the man. Have you ever seen humans become so robotical that they lose their soul? They lose their life. They, they've got no life. They're just alive, but not really living. I have. Have you ever wanted to break free? Have you ever been in that situation and wanted to get a new job or a new relationship or a new ministry or just get out of the the death that you're in? Congratulations. You're human. Now, no gazelle does that. Oh, I'm just sick and tired of this. Every day we wake up, we eat grass, we hear the roar, we run from the roar, we look around and we pretend like no one's missing, we go to the water hole, we, we go eat some grass and we go to sleep and the next day we wake up, we eat grass, we hear the roar, we run, I'm tired of it, come on guys, let's start a revolution, let's rage against the machine, let's, let's become the hunters. I'm ready for something new. And then the gazelle goes and chases after the lion the next day. And guess what? He can be really good at his job, but it's only going to last one day. When the lion sits there and says, thank you for the delivery of fast food. Because that's not what he was created to be. Gazelles don't get stuck or want to be something else. If they did, it would result in death. Think about beavers. You know what beavers do? Build dams. The mama. If you were a beaver, your dad would have built dams, your mom would have built dams, your grandpa built dams, your grandma built dams. Everybody builds dams if you're a beaver because that's what you were created to do. Beavers don't need faith to please God. They build dams. Imagine if there was a little family of beavers sitting out there and you walked down to a river and you looked and there's the whole family of beavers. They're, they're building a dam there. And then you got one beaver who's you know maybe in his 20s and he's over there building a bridge that seems ridiculous he's over there building the bridge and you hear the dad beaver talking to the mama beaver see i told you you were coddling him when he was young and now he's got all these wild ideas and you should have never treated him like a gopher and gopher is beaver for hipster all right and so uh yeah you should have never treated him like that now he's got these wild ideas and and you know, Grandpa Beaver just really doesn't get him. Grandpa's sitting over there going, I just don't understand these kids these days, these millennials. He That dam's not gonna stop any water. Water's just flowing right under it. That's not a that's a ridiculous dam. See, the whole thing is ridiculous because beavers don't do that. Beavers don't dream and aspire and, and think of something greater than what they are. And I'm gonna build a bridge, because no. They don't self-reflect, they don't dream, they don't create the future. They are beavers. They are what they were created to be. So they don't need faith to please God. Why do we need faith to please God? Because it gives us the ability to create and imagine. It's what makes us like Him. God's a creator. And we're supposed to look like our dad. We're His kids. That's who we are. We can find it all throughout Scripture that we're His sons. We're His daughters. And so... We're supposed to look like our dad. We're supposed to take on the attributes of our father. You're his kids. And if you live with a false label, if you live with a sin label or a label that other people have put on you, a label of abuse, a label of pain, any type of false identity about who you are, then you will never fully live. You'll never be fully human. You'll never experience the life that that Jesus talks about, the life that we can have. If you live with a label or a lie or sin on you that tells you anything else other than that you are a child of God, then you're like that gazelle running straight to death every time. Running to death, running to death. I really wanted to talk to you some more about creating Um, because I got some cool stuff about that and some cool scripture about it, but um, in the interest of time, I don't want to keep you the whole time, so I'm going to wrap up with a story, and we're going to pray, and we'll probably talk about creating a little more next week. Um, This story was pretty cool. This is a true story, Um, and there's a book called MASH 4077, and the book is the true story, the true account written, about the original MASH unit in the Korean War and what they did to save lives. Now, a lot of you might be thinking of the TV show MASH. This is not what we're talking about. This was the true story of the real MASH unit and all the lives that they saved. And these were real heroes. These were champions. But if you read that book, chapter 9, it's called Tags. And here's what would happen. When, When the doctors and the nurses... They would all be there waiting to, to help the wounded soldiers as they would come in. And when they would hear the helicopter coming, they would spring into action. They would run out and they would start bringing out all the stretchers and they would start bringing people in and doctors would start checking people and nurses would start trying to, to help the soldiers and stuff like that. And it was good and this particular mass unit, 4077, was they were saving a lot of lives. In fact, they were the best unit there was but they were still losing so many men. So many guys would bleed out and they would start working on somebody that couldn't be saved and then other guys that maybe weren't wounded as bad would bleed out and die. It was just a really bad situation until they came up with this plan. And they came up with this big system that was used from then on and what they decided to do was take one doctor one nurse and the doctor when a helicopter would land and and they would pull out all the wounded soldiers on the stretchers um one doctor and two nurses would be assigned to the helicopter every day so when it would land uh, a doctor would quickly look at each wounded man and they used three colors and if the doctor yelled yellow then it meant he's not that bad uh, give him some pain medicines, we can stitch him up later. Like, we, it doesn't take our immediate attention. In other words, if he yelled yellow, then it meant that the soldier was gonna be fine. So the nurse would then, the one nurse that was following behind the doctor would take the yellow tag, and she would tie it on to that soldier. And he would be given, you know, a couple pain meds or whatever he needed, but pretty much rolled to the side because the doctor had said, he's a yellow tag, he's gonna be fine. Leave him alone. Don't waste time on this soldier. He's good. Um, the second color tag was the blue tag. So if the doctor assessed that soldier and the doctor yelled out, Blue! It meant he's hurt bad. But we can save him. Send him straight to surgery. Like, we, we can save this guy, but we need to act now or we're not going to be able to save him. Save him. Now... What you didn't want to hear if you were one of the soldiers was red. If the doctor yelled red, then that meant he's gone. There's no way we can save him. It's death. If you got a red tag, that's what the second nurse was for. She was known as the kiss of death. She carried vials and vials of morphine, and each vial was big enough to put down a horse. And so if the doctor yelled red, she would come and she would tie a red tag on you and then she would walk up to you and she would give you that vial of morphine and pretty much put you to sleep, put you out of your misery. If she saw a red tag, that was it. The second nurse put on the tag. So the third one, the kiss of death, if she saw the red tag, it was over for you. Um, And so the story goes, and chapter nine tells the story of one day that they brought in a bunch of soldiers, and the doctor was going along yelling yellow, blue, red, and she yelled. Uh, he yelled yellow on one of them, and then he hits the next one, and this guy was just injured really bad, and he said, we can't save him. He yells red. Second nurse puts a red tag on him like she's supposed to. Then the third nurse, the kiss of death, she comes up. She's got the vial of morphine, and the guy lifts up his head, and he grabs her arm, and he says... I'm glad I did what I did. I'm glad I fought for my country. I was brave, I saved a lot of my brothers. Please tell my wife and my kids that I love them and I don't regret what I did. That I'm proud of who I am and and what I did. And he so moved her when he was talking to her that she looked around and no one was watching and she took the red tag off of his bed and she put a blue tag on his bed and then She went on. She went on down the line and she didn't think anything about it. Well, three months went by. And then a day went by with no wounded soldiers. No helicopters came. Then two days, three days, four days, all the way to seven days. No wounded soldiers. So now all the doctors and nurses are sitting around and everybody's been shipped out or doctored up. or They're all good. They're all sitting around going, what in the world? Nobody's getting wounded? Is, Is the war over? What's going on? And then they hear a helicopter. After seven days, they hear a helicopter coming. So they all take their places and they run out to the launch pad with their stretchers. And the helicopter lands and the door opens and there are no wounded soldiers on there. It's SEAL Team 6. And they ask them, really confused, looking like, what's going on? Why are y'all here? And all that the SEAL Team 6 would say to them is, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And then they went and surrounded the building and set up a perimeter. And they're like, what in the world? Who's coming? One and a half hours later, trucks with rangers pulled up. And they ran around in the woods. And they were again asked by the doctors and nurses and people, what's going on? What's, who's, and all they would say is, he's coming. They all ran into the woods. And then around lunch, four limousines pull up. And a five-star general, a war hero, stepped out. And he said, I want to see every single doctor and nurse that works at this mass unit in the mess hall now. Everybody starts running into the mess hall and lining up and they're wondering what's going on. Are they in trouble? Like, what's the deal? Why is he here? Why is SEAL Team 6 here? Why are all these people here? And they get in there and he stands up in front of them in their cafeteria and he says, First of all, I want to say thank you. Because you guys have saved more lives than any other mass unit, you—you, this is awesome. So I want to start by by saying thank you from the bottom of my heart and and from the U.S. Army. Second, I have a question. And he held up a patient chart with a big red slash through it, and he said, "What does this mean?" And a doctor explained to him, "Well, we have three, we have three colors." And he explained what I just explained to you. Yellow means they're going to be fine. Don't worry. Go back to them later. Um, Blue means that we can save them, uh, but we need to go to surgery immediately. And and red means they're gone. And he said, so this red slash through this patient chart, it tells me that you couldn't save this man. And and the doctor said, yes, sir, I'm sorry. It does. And he said, so where is this man? And he said, "Uh, well, he would have been buried at... um, the cemetery in his hometown more than likely, but he's been buried from, this was three months ago, so he would have been buried a long time ago. And the doctor said, okay, that's wonderful. The the five-star general said, okay, that's wonderful. Um, that's what we thought. And we have been trying to find out for the last three months how, but this man is at home with his wife and kids doing fine. And We've searched and tried to trace it back to where he would have gone or where his helicopter had sent him, what mass unit he might have gone to or how this happened or why our paperwork tells us that this man is dead when he is at home with his wife and kids. And the only thing that we can figure is that someone here must have changed his tag. All my smart people in D.C. are telling me that it came from here. So I've got all day and we're going to sit here until I find out who switched this man's tag. And the nurse stood up that did it immediately. And she said, it was me. I switched his tag, he spoke to me, and my heart went out to him and I switched it. The five-star general took off running, across the cafeteria, and he tried to round a table and his foot caught the table leg and he tripped and fell. And he just stayed down on his knees and crawled the rest of the way to her and grabbed her around the ankles and was crying. And saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, that was my son. And he's at home with his grandchildren. He's alive and well and he he should have been dead. It should have been over for him. But somebody changed his tag. I feel like some of you have had labels put on you. You've had, you've had, let's sin speak things over you that you've had other people put labels on you that you've put labels on yourself because of your sin and because of your hurt and your pain and your abuse. Labels that all sin is is death. Sin is death and so there have been labels of death put on you. And I'm telling you today to be fully alive. Your tag's been changed. When Jesus went to the cross he changed your tag. He made it different. He took it away. He took away the pain. He took away the death. He took away the hurt so that you could be fully human, that you could have faith, that you could trust, that you could hope and believe in him. You've had labels put on you that said hopeless, drunk, alcoholic, cursed, abused. I don't care. It doesn't matter what label you've had put on you. You are a son and a daughter of the king and he paid the highest price for you. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son so that you could be part of his family, that you could create a future. Humans create by faith. We believe that we are more than the labels say we are. Death label is gone. Now, the devil and death and hell and the grave, they said, hey, red tag, he's dead, he's gone. Jesus said, no. No, Jesus switched the tag at the cross. Now, you can change somebody else's tag. You can create a new future. You can live life to the full, fully human. And you can change somebody else's tag and let them see who they are. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for speaking to our hearts and our minds. God, thank you that we're not what the labels have said we were. God, thank you that you took care of sin. God, we don't want to live our lives as chickens when we were called to be eagles, when there's greatness inside of us. We want to be like your son, Jesus. We want to be champions. We want to walk out our purpose and our call. God, we want to look into the future and create hope for the future. God, we love you. Thank you for giving us the ability to to be artists and and to see the beauty in the world. Thanks for all that you're doing here. Thanks for all that you're doing on the, the VN weekend with everybody that's there serving. Um, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.